0: Amen. Good morning, church. It's it's days like these that um, it bothers me that I didn't develop uh, the skill of dancing. (laughs) Because, like, on the inside, I'm doing all kind of moves, and and on the outside is just, you know, the two-step. It is so good to praise the Lord. I love, I love singing. I love worshiping. It just, I think more than any other kind of communication, that's what really, really touches my heart. Um, Just a couple of announcements before we get started. This morning is Together Sunday. So what that means is our integrated service where we have uh, the Children's Church worshiping uh, with us and hearing the word with us and I know uh, for some parents especially depending on the age of your child uh, that could be a little rough where uh, it's very hard maybe sometimes to focus but I think there are great benefits to families worshiping together and I think the benefits uh, supersede uh, they may be uh, needing a little extra attention and even uh, the others that don't have young children having to forbear uh, because I think it is a very good example for the young person to see their parent um, worshiping, hearing the word and responding to it, and I believe uh, there is a corporate uh, family dynamic that is very important. You know, there was a time where there was no children's church, where you went to church with your parent, and you sat there, and you were quiet, (laughs) or else. And we live in different times, and I think that children's church is a beautiful thing. I was a children's church teacher along with my wife for 14 years. We loved doing kids' church. We loved them having their own service, and there's a benefit to that, but... That once a month, don't stay home, don't allow that to keep you from coming. Come out with your child. When I'm preaching and they're making a little bit of noise, it doesn't bother me. If you want, you can also go in the Welcome Center. Uh, But even there, we ask that you would pay attention to the other people that are in there while you're there with your child. But that's what uh, I just wanted to mention about Together Sunday. Today starts... Advent. And maybe you've never celebrated Advent before, but Advent is, as Deacon Ray said, the celebration of the first coming of Christ and the great anticipation that we have for the second coming of Christ. Advent is is used as a time for us to prepare our hearts um, for the Christian the Christmas season and what that represents is so important. And it has been a church tradition worldwide for hundreds of years. Um, Christ has come. And certainly uh, the world and, and even us at times fall into the commercialism of that, uh, of stores and business profiting and toys and shopping and gifts and and having parties, but it's so much more than that. It's even so much more than Bethlehem and um, the starry sky and the shepherds and, and the fields and the angels singing. This is the entrance of God into human history. It is God coming into his creation to save lost sinners. It's heaven descending on earth, celebrating the fact that God loved us so much that he would send a savior. We are to celebrate that. Those things are something that we need to speak about every Sunday, that we need to recognize, and it should so fill our hearts. So the fact that a Savior has come into the world should for us be such a celebration every day. But it's also an indictment to the world that they're sinners, that they need a savior, and it is so important for us to anticipate his return and to celebrate what he's done and to know that he's coming back because these things produce what you see on the banners here, peace, hope, peace, joy, and love. So over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to speak about. Um, Today, uh, the sermon is titled, The Object of Our Hope. Hope has an object. But before we even do that, I want to read uh, something to you that I read last night. And it it so touched me. And it was in the, the Valley of Vision, which is a book of, of prayers, and this is going to be our prayer for today. And it's called um, A Minister's Preaching. And, and I, when I read this, you know, I just thought about what it is to, to preach, and I thought about all preachers, and that this should be the prayer of their heart. And I thought about how God has called each and every believer to be a minister of the gospel. So this is not only for someone that stands up on a Sunday morning, but it's for every single believer. And the prayer goes this way, my master God, I am desired to preach today, but go weak and needy to my task. Yet I long that people might be edified with divine truth, that an honest testimony might be born for thee. Give me assistance in preaching and prayer with my heart uplifted for grace and unction. Present to my view things pertinent to my subject. With fullness of matter and clarity of thought, proper expression, fluency, and fervency, a feeling sense of the things I preach, and a grace to apply them to men's consciences. Keep me conscious all the while of my defects, and let me not gloat in pride over my performance. Help me to offer a testimony for thyself and to leave sinners inexcusable in neglecting thy mercy. Give me freedom to open the sorrows of thy people and to set before them comforting considerations. Attend with, attend with power power the truth preached and awaken the attention of my slothful audience. May thy people be refreshed, melted, convicted, comforted, and help me to use the strongest arguments drawn from Christ's incarnation and suffering that men might be made holy. I myself, need thy support, comfort, strength, holiness, that I might be a pure channel of thy grace and be able to do something for thee. Give me then refreshment among thy people and help me not to treat excellent matters in a defective way or bear a broken testimony to so worthy a redeemer or be harsh in treating of Christ's death, its design and end, from lack of warmth and fervency, and keep me in tune with thee as I do this work. Father, that is my prayer. That is my prayer for myself. That is my prayer for every preacher. That is my prayer, Lord, for every instrument, Each believer, Lord, that you have redeemed and given them the ministry of reconciliation, those that you've reconciled to yourself. So as we hear your word this day, Lord, do a work in our hearts, Lord. Give us great hope, Lord. Give us great peace and joy and love, Lord, that we would proclaim your name From the mountaintops, especially in this season, Lord, that we would be about your business, spreading the gospel, the good news, the word of God that has snatched us out of hell, out of darkness, out of blindness, Lord, into the marvelous light of your son. Allow us, Lord, to be a gift, Lord used by you for your glory. Give us this day, Lord, a word, Father, that would resonate so much in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You know, when I read that, I just, I just thought about the gravity of God using us, his people, as his mouthpiece and how we interact with so many every day that need hope, and as they need hope, we know where hope is found. We know what we believe, and God has so shown us in so many ways that the object of our hope is a strong foundation. It's something that we never have to worry about. Am I trusting in the wrong thing? See, because when, when we use words like hope, you know, there's other words that sometimes you use as a synonym to hope, and it doesn't actually mean the same thing. Words like wish, right? To wish is to, to feel a desire of something that is not easily attainable, um, and you want something that you're probably not going to get, or is probably not going to happen. A dream uh, is something uh, that's a deep desire, and and it may happen, but it turns into a wish as soon as we don't have a plan of action um, for it to be instituted. But but hope, hope, we don't hope in things that are within our Hope is to trust, it's it's to wait for, it's it's to look for, it's to desire something or someone or to expect something beneficial in the future. An author said that hope is the feeling you have, that the feeling you have is impermanent. It means that that something has to change. Um, and hope is very closely related to trust. Uh, hope is just not like something that's out there. So this morning, uh, again, the title of this sermon is The Object of Hope. And we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 1. So if you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, I'll be reading out of the ESV, and if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And it reads this way, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. You may be seated. As we read this, uh, the thing that pops into your mind right away uh, and and what I ask myself as I've seen of the type of life that that John the Baptist lived is, is what is your hope anchored in? What is your hope anchored in? John the Baptist's hope was anchored in the promise of God. There was 400 years of silence and uh, John the Baptist is there in the wilderness uh, and he is making way, making straight the path of the Lord. How, how do we know um, that is what his hope was in? Because his actions communicated that. His actions communicated not only what he said, but what he did told the story what what your hope is anchored in what you do and what you say it tells the story and that was certainly what it was for him and we see that John lived a remarkable life you know sometimes when we read things in the scripture we just kind of read through it and and everything in the Bible, everything that's there is there for a reason. And when we do kind of like further research, we start to see those things like, oh wow. So, so this wilderness of Judea is the same wilderness where God had revealed himself to Moses. It was where God had given the law. It's where um, God had entered in the covenant with Israel. It, it was also the site Um, of David's refuge. And this is where John went about his ministry. The text that we read about what he was doing is found in Isaiah. It said that. But to take it even further, it says in Isaiah 40, starting at verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. When I, when I even thought about um, preparation, one of the reasons why we have chosen to, to for these next four weeks, just think about What God has done and celebrate that, the preparation that we need to have in our hearts because so often it seems as if we live in a desert. But God's people are called to be that voice in that desert place. It says, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when we hear what John cried out, he was pointing to the one to come. They had hoped in Israel for a long time for the Messiah to come. And John was saying, get ready, he's coming. In the same way that we preach a message today, get ready, he's coming back. And in the same way we preach that message many just like the Bible says, even a long time ago, was like, it's coming back. Look how long it's been, he's not coming back. You're crazy, but he's, he's coming back. And, and, and it is for us to preach that message in, in the wilderness, because just like John preached it in the wilderness, God pricks the hearts of men. God is the one who breaks up the fallow ground. God is the one who turns stony hearts to flesh. It is is not on us to um, get results. We can't. Even the prayer that we just read, uh, 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 a minister's prayer, which we all are, the results are going to come from God. The power... Is, is God's. What, what we are to do is to be available to be God's vessel. John pointed to the one to come. And it says that he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. There was one that was coming that was mightier. God himself. None of us are worthy, but he is worthy. And and the beautiful part of, of our unworthiness is because of what he has done, He has called us in our weakness, um, in our unworthiness, um, as his children, to be covered by his blood and to go out and to be used by him. This was not about John. This is not about you and me. This was about Jesus. So when I even read, Where John was, which is significant, how John dressed, which was a picture of the way prophets looked, what John ate, which were the things uh, that because he was set apart, he he was called to eat, and people came out. People came out and heard and responded. And I was thinking about people coming out to the wilderness and how we have friends and followers that are a click away. And would they come out into the wilderness? to hear what we have to say and to respond? And if they would, what's our message? That's the real question. What is the message that we are putting out there? Are we an instrument, an agent of hope? Because that's what John was. He was... An agent of hope. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. An agent of hope. Consider those in your life that have delivered the pure word of God. Like we must all come to God personally, but rarely do we come to God on our own. It, it, it is always someone else that has delivered a message of hope that we've ended up responding to. I, I don't know who invested in your life and spoke words of truth. For me, I was on a construction site. I was a third-year apprentice. So I was a maybe 20 years old. And a guy that I would think today, when I think about like who he was, I would say was, in his behavior, somewhat marginal in his Christianity. You know, now that you've been walking with the Lord all of a sudden this long time, you start looking at other people. I don't know if he should have been doing this, that, and the other. But you know, if he was like one of those super holy roller guys, I don't know if I would have responded to him. But guess what? He loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. So, so so often we think like, you know, even my witness is shot Things that I've said, things that I've done in the past, things that the people around me may know about me. But, you know, a lot of that also shows your humanness, that, that you fall short, that you make mistakes too. You, depending on where people met me in my life, Right. Uh, Because I've been walking with God for a long time. They've been calling me at when I was at work, reverend and preacher and all of those kind of things. And I start telling them a little bit about my past. They're like, what? Like they can't see it. And it's just because of the work that God has done. But 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 I make mistakes, too. And, And I've had to go back at times and say to people, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And that also gives an opportunity to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I, I, I don't live a perfect life because only one did that. I, I just happen to be a child of the king. And, and anything that you see in me is because of the Holy Spirit and what he's put there. And I can easily make mistakes and, and jump into the flesh. And... and so you don't have to obtain perfection. The, the reason why you look at me different than others is because who I spend my time with all the time, which is God. And, and the more that I'm with him, the more that I'm going to look like him. But that by no means make me perfect. So that, that is something for each and every one of us to know that we are called to be an agent of hope. So so when we see John out there and he's doing what he's doing and he's getting results, people people are coming. The text says this, When we look at how John lived, one of the things that we recognize with him is that he he was uncompromising. So often in, in our walk, when we hear the text speak about where John did his ministry, how he was dressed, Um, what he ate, one of the things that we see there is real sacrifice. God does not guarantee an easy or safe life to those that serve him. You, You may have heard preachers say something different, but the text Let's us know. As we look at the people of the Bible, you walking with God does not give you access to easy street. Matter of fact, um, you're going to have hardships. You're going to have hard times. God just said, I'll be there with you that I'll never leave you. God is always at work. So when we look at John's life, it shows us so much. He was about God's business, but he didn't have it easy. Another thing that we see in John's life is doing what God desires is the greatest possible life investment. Doing what God desires for each one of us to do is the greatest life investment. John was about God's business. He didn't have it easy, but this is what he gave his life to. Another thing that we see about him was he was a fearless confronter. He was stepping to people. Standing for the truth is more important than life itself. All of these things we could say about John because that's how he lived. Standing for the truth is more important than life itself. John was beheaded. His head brought out on a part, in a party on a platter. Like, why didn't God protect him? Like, he was doing God's work. It was time for him to come home. His work was finished. That's why. Nothing could have happened to John until God wanted to bring him We don't have to be afraid about anything. Because when it's time to go home, you being afraid, you avoiding situations, it's not gonna stop you from going home. You you, you could say, look, I'm scared of airplanes. I'm not going to be in an airplane accident, and an airplane could crash into your house. You, you, I'm I'm not saying, like, jump out of planes, but what I'm saying is there is nothing that can harm you. There is nothing that doesn't have limits set by God because he's the one who keeps us. He's the one who says, this is when you're going to come and this is when you're going to leave. Just think about John's life, his birth. It was miraculous. His parents were past childbearing years, and he received, they received the prophecy from an angel, this is what's going to happen. And because he didn't believe it, remember, they shut his mouth. The angel shut his mouth for a season, and when he opened his mouth, he opened his mouth praising he 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 closed his mouth in doubt. Opened his mouth praising God. God said, "This is what he's going to do. This is who he's going to be." And then God said, "This is when he's going to leave." He did, he didn't say that. He 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 did that. Every single part of your life, God is there. the The question is, like John, um, do you? Fight to make it easy for yourself. That that may be an indicator that your hope is in the wrong thing. Um, What is your life invested around? And are you standing for the truth? This is what was said about John. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 7, says this. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? Behold, those who wear soft clothes are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you in more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was called the greatest among men. And when we look at how he lived his life, what his life was about, and even how he died, it should check us about what we go after in life. What is our hope in? Because what is hope? And and what is our hope in? Hope, again, is to trust, to wait for, to look for, or to desire something or to expect something beneficial in the future. And as we said, hope and trust are closely related. But hope is the proper response to the promises of God. Hope leads to things. Hope leads to joy. Hope leads to boldness. Hope leads to faith. Hope leads to love, to comfort, to encouragement. When your hope is rooted in the right thing. When When your hope is rooted in the right person when your hope is rooted in Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. What is there? What can there be? What makes life worthwhile apart from Christian hope? All of our hope that is founded, that. All of our hope on God is founded. It's it's in the right place. When we anchor our hope in the promises of God, we've anchored our hope in the right thing because the Bible tells us God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? There is a certainty in the promises of God that we can bank our hopes in. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. God's promises and his fulfillment of those promises are yes and amen, and his timing is perfect. And he does not operate on our clock. For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desires to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible For God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, access to God where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having been a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We can rest assured that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. You can come up, worship team. It said in verse 8, I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We mean in the believer, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Did you catch that? That that, that you have an inheritance. That he predetermined those things and that he's working it out according to His will, according to the counsel of His will. Who can counsel God? And that we can have a hope because our hope is in Christ to the praise of His glory. And in Him also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the word of truth, that's what changed things. So again, like John, are you an instrument of hope? Because our hope can only be in him. Everything else is passing away. When I think about John's life and how different his aspirations were, And I even think about my own life and all of us as believers. We love God. We want to serve God. But we want some nice things. We we want to be comfortable. We want to be blessed the way that we want to be blessed. But John, who spent time in prison, and, and and even there asked if, is there coming another? But even think about, and Jesus said, Go back and tell him the blind have received sight, the lame walk, the words that are preached. Imagine. Baptism didn't start with John the Baptist. Other people did that, but this was the baptism of repentance. And he was able to baptize Jesus. Jesus had nothing to repent about, but he set the model for us. It it, it showed his public ministry starting. And John to be a part of that, where a dove ascended, where the Father spoke from heaven, and he's being used to dip Jesus into the water, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a privilege! What an honor. Would you eat locusts and honey and wear those kind of clothes and be in that wilderness just to just to be a, a part of God's plan that He said of John? He's the greatest of men. In this season, the hope that is in you, as we. Walk through this and think about these things up here. Without hope, without peace, without joy, without love. What's life? Remove any of these things from your life. It's going to be a big void. Jesus came that we would have hope, the fulfillment of God's promise. Jesus came that we would have peace, that we would have joy, that we would see in a tangible way how he loves us and how we are called to love. What a beautiful season we're in. Don't look for external things to fill your heart because it's never going to give you these things here. That, that's going to come from who he is, what he did, you spending time with him. So as we celebrate these this season, get into your word. Never allow every year Christmas to come up and all these other things that we attach to it and listening to the Christmas story to remove from your heart and mind that it is the greatest moment in human history and what that did for us. And then, how God uses us as His instruments, like John, to be instruments of hope. The title of this sermon is The Object of Your Hope. Prayerfully, you're not putting your hope in anything else or even alongside. Something else. I, I need Jesus and. Would you stand with me, family, so I can pray for you, please?' I'm going to end by reading this scripture. It's found in Isaiah chapter nine. I'm going to start at verse two, "The people walking in darkness have seen a great light and a light has dawned. On those living in a land of darkness, you have enlarged the nation, increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor. Yet as you did on the day of Midian, you, eve, you forever trampling boots of battle and the bloodiest garments of war will be burned as fuel in the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness For now, on, and forever, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that our hope, Lord, that our peace, that our joy, that our love comes from you and you are the object of it all. We pray for the one that feels hopeless, Lord, that they would turn to you and recognize that you are hope. There is no life without hope. But our hope needs to be in Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing and the fact that he's coming back and we are to live that way daily, Lord. So we pray for that one that has lost their hope, that they would find it in you, that they would come to the end of themselves, that they would repent and look towards heaven, recognizing that you sent your son to die on a cross, that we would be saved, that we would have access, that we would know you, O oh God. And we ask, Father, that you would forgive us. We repent, Lord, for placing hope on other things and other things, Lord. Our lifestyle shows it, Lord. What we do and what we say shows it, Lord. We ask that you would forgive us of pride, Lord, where the platforms that you've given us, even when we spoke about you, was about us too, Lord. You, the one that use us, the only worthy one, that we aren't even worthy enough to untie your shoes, oh God. But you call us your children, You are so faithful like the song that we sing. You are the lifter of our heads, Lord. Let us go out in this season and proclaim your name, Lord. But we can only do that, Lord, if we have a deep sense of hope. Believing and trusting that you're going to do what you said you're going to do because you're not a man. You can't lie. You don't lie, Lord. All your promises will come to pass, Lord. So let us stand in that, Lord. We thank you for what you've reminded us of today, Lord, and that we can walk in that hope, that we can be at peace because we're at peace with the Prince of Peace, that we could have great joy in you because we are, loved by you and you've taught us how to love, Lord. So we look so forward to this season, Lord. We look so forward to your return, O oh God. And we know just like you showed up in that Jordan River to be baptized, you're coming back. You're coming back for a spotless church, oh God. In the meantime, Lord, let us be busy about your work and walk in the hope that you've placed in us, Lord. We already have the down payment of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Use us, Father, for your glory. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in this body, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.